Well, you and I are living in a world where suddenly everything has changed. Just think with me for a minute about what life was like just two months ago, right? Two, two months ago, the economy was booming. Um, people were excitedly making their spring break travel plans. We were just about to fill out our brackets for the March Madness tournament. Grocery store shelves were overflowing with Charmin and Scots and Quilted Northern. People were packing into buses and classrooms and sporting events, rubbing up against each other without even thinking twice about it. We were shaking hands and hugging and visiting our elderly parents without a care in the world. And then all of a sudden, it seems like everything just shut down. And all of a sudden, you and I find ourselves living in the strangest reality that, that probably most of us have ever experienced. You know, it's not all bad. I was sharing with you recently about a conversation that I just had with my father, who turns 80 next month, and we were comparing the current situation to uh, other events in his life. And he said, you know, there's some similarity to how things felt uh, around World War II. Because back then, there was this sense of, of unity and there was this sense of, of shared struggle against a common enemy. And so back then, you know, people were, were sacrificing and donating to help the war effort. And we've seen some of that in these past few weeks, haven't we? We see people sewing, you know, breathing masks and giving them away. We see restaurants donating meals. Um, we see people finally appreciating what nurses have been doing all along. Um, because of the generosity of this church family, just last week, we were able to donate an entire truckload full of food to Star of Hope Mission in Patterson. I mean, you guys donated that, that food. Because of your faithful giving to the Chapel's Benevolence Fund over the months, uh, last week we were able to make a, a donation of several thousand dollars to Chilton Hospital to provide meals for healthcare workers as they go off their shifts. So, you know, in some ways, this has brought out the best in us. But I think we also just have to be really honest and say, this has been really hard. Most of us have struggled with, with strange feelings of isolation and, and um, some, in some cases, depression, confusion. Um, most of us know someone who has lost their job or been, been furloughed from their job. Maybe that's you, you're wondering what's next. Pretty much all of us know someone who's been diagnosed positive with COVID-19, and maybe that's you today, and, and it's a, a difficult period for you. And probably most of us by now know somebody who's lost their life. And, and besides the normal grieving, we can't even gather for a funeral. So I think we have to be really honest and say, this has been a really hard time for our country, for our world. And then right in the midst of all of that, it's Easter Sunday. And I know what some of you are thinking. This does not feel like Easter at all. Right? I mean, who ever heard of an Easter where you're stuck inside your house, you're separated from people, and you're afraid to walk out the door? Well, actually, there was a group of people who had heard of an Easter exactly like that. And today, I really believe that we need to hear their story. So would you look with me today at John chapter 20, starting in verse 19? Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is the word of God. In those three short verses, there is a world of change that took place. And it's just so relevant to what's happening in our lives right now. So I'd like to use three words to summarize what happened. The first word is paralysis. Paralysis. As the disciples sat in that room, they were paralyzed, terrified. And it's easy to see why. Two days earlier, popular opinion had, had shifted violently against Jesus. He had been arrested. He had been put on trial. He had been tortured. And he had been publicly executed by the Roman government. The people who were locked in that room that night, on that Sunday night, had been closely associated with Jesus. Everybody knew they were his people. So as far as they knew, their leader was dead and they could be next. And so they stayed in that house, shades drawn, doors locked, paralyzed by fear. And I I can't help but thinking that this is such a picture of of where we sometimes find ourselves in life. And and I I don't just mean in the current crisis, But just in general, we find ourselves at times paralyzed, stuck, not moving forward. And I started to think about what are some of the things that make us stuck, that that paralyze us. Let me just suggest three. The first one is anxiety, fear. That's the thing that paralyzed the disciples, right? Anxiety and fear of what might happen. I was reading an article last week about how the coronavirus really took Europe by surprise, and they were interviewing uh, the director of a hospital in Madrid, Spain. And he said, you know, when we saw the coronavirus breaking out in China, we all thought this could never happen here. I mean, we're much more sanitary. We have much better uh, health care than they have there. We feel bad for the Chinese, but we're safe. And then he kind of paused, and he said something so profound. He said... We have sinned from too much confidence. Man, what used to be confidence has been replaced now by anxiety. Can you relate to that at all? That lately you've been feeling maybe a little less confident and a little more anxiety? But like I said, it's not just for times like this. Before all of this happened, I'll share a little story with you. I was in my office, and I received this this manila envelope, a fat envelope in the mail. And I I looked at the the return address, and and it was from a a law firm, like Miller, Johnson, and Horowitz, or something. I don't remember what the the names were. But I I, I saw this envelope. It was this thick envelope, and I didn't have time to open it because I was heading out the door for an appointment. So as I was driving to my appointment, can you guess what thoughts started going through my mind? We're being sued. Someone is suing the chapel. And I started thinking of what, what, what could have happened. Did somebody trip in the parking lot? Did somebody choke on communion bread? I, I just didn't know what it was. And this whole time I was at this appointment, I was thinking about this lawsuit. How are we going to handle it? So I finally got back to my office. I tore open the envelope. You know what it was? Someone had died, and in their will, they were leaving some money for the chapel. I felt like such an idiot. But do you ever find yourself doing that? Just worrying anxious about all the things that could happen, man, it can be crippling. It can rob you of sleep. It can make you turn to to drugs to make yourself feel better. It truly has the power to paralyze you. That's what was happening for those disciples on that Sunday night. Maybe that's where you live, but you don't have to stay there. 
There's another thing that can paralyze us, and that is anger. Man, for some of you, something has happened in your life that you don't think a good God should allow to happen. Maybe someone you know and love has, has lost their life from the coronavirus, and it just makes you angry. Or maybe somebody has done something to hurt you, and even though it was a long time ago, you really honestly haven't gotten over the hurt. And even now, when you think about that situation, you can feel the anger rising up in you. Or maybe you're angry at the church. <laughs> maybe you have met so many people who claim to be following Christ, but you look at their life and all you see is self-righteousness, you see greed, or, or maybe they claim to follow Christ, but they're so devoted to a certain political cause or maybe to a certain political leader who seems so very much unlike Christ. And when you think about it, it just makes you mad. And honestly, it, it, has, it has sort of frozen you. It has made you completely closed off to God and to the church. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be paralyzed by that. One more thing, let me suggest one more thing that can paralyze us, and it is agnosticism. Agno you know what agnosticism is, right? An atheist says, I don't believe in God, period. An agnostic says, you know, I just, I'm not sure. I, I'm searching, I'm open, but, but I just don't know. And man, I can understand that viewpoint. If you've been around my teaching for a while, you know that I am naturally wired as a skeptic and a doubter. So I feel like I, I have kind of have this special connection with fellow skeptics and doubters. But, but here's what I've realized also. It is possible to say that you're seeking truth and that you're open-minded when really inside the reality is you've made up your mind that ultimate truth is unknowable. So you're not really interested in, in learning anything. Does that make sense? And so truthfully, um, you're really not open. You're stuck in your agnosticism with no desire to, to, to budge. And I just want to plead with you on this Easter Sunday, don't be stuck there. You know, life is too short, and we're being reminded of that lately. Life is too short to live in the land of I don't know for your whole life. So if you've been paralyzed by agnosticism, um, man, you don't need to stay there. Anxiety, anger, agnosticism. These are some of the things that freeze people and paralyze people. Maybe there's something else that has paralyzed you. Here's what I want to say. If you could see just a glimpse of what those people in that room saw on that Easter night, and I don't mean the organizational church, I don't mean institutional religion, I mean if you could see a glimpse of Jesus, man, that could be a turning point that would, would so make you unstuck and so be a turning point in your life. So there they were, frozen by fear, locked in the room, and all of a sudden, the unthinkable happened. Here's the next scene. I'll call it peace. Peace. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I love this painting by Caravaggio. It was painted in, in the year 1602. Isn't that an amazing painting? So two times Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And I think there are two kinds of peace that he was referring to. First, there's what I'll call head peace. Peace for your mind. I mean, just think about it. Why would Jesus have taken the, the effort to show them his hands and his side? 
Well, because there were still holes in his hands and there was still a gash in his side and he was honoring their, their status as thinking human beings. He wanted them to see with their own eyes and know for sure that this person standing in front of them was the same person that, that, that had died a couple of days earlier. He wanted them to see that and know that this was the real deal. Now, when you start talking this way, I know that some people aren't interested in that because here's what they say. Look, when it comes to spiritual matters, it's just a leap of faith. Stop trying to understand. Stop analyzing it. Faith isn't like that. You just have to believe. But the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible consistently pushes us to use our minds. So here are the facts that we know. The Roman government executed a man named Jesus in the first century. And, you know, that's not only recorded by the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's also recorded in ancient secular writings as well. So Jesus received the death penalty. And then on the third day, his body went missing. And the obvious question is, well, how did that happen? Well, at the time, the main explanation was that the disciples of Jesus, wanting to, to kind of, kind of uh, create a hoax, snuck in at night when the Roman guards were sleeping, and they stole the body. In fact, you can read in Matthew chapter 28 how that story kind of, kind of got started and got legs under it. I don't know how many people bought that. I have a hard time thinking that many people would believe, first of all, that Roman guards would fall asleep on the job, highly unlikely, but also that this sad little bunch of disciples would have the guts to sneak in and steal the body. I have an even harder time believing that if they had done that, that they would have actually stood their ground and wound up dying for their faith in the months to come, which all of them did, knowing that it was all a hoax. It just doesn't add up. The other main explanation was that the enemies of Jesus stole the body. But that doesn't make sense either, because if that were true, as soon as the disciples started running around Jerusalem saying Jesus was alive, the simplest thing for the enemies of Jesus to do would be what? Just produce the body. Hey, everybody, it's not true. We have the body right here. He's not alive. He's dead. Look, that would have squashed this little upstart movement immediately. But they didn't produce the body because they didn't have it. You know, I know some of you leap of faith people are saying, yeah, I don't care about all this stuff. Just believe. But listen, this is important. Unlike just about any other faith, the early Christian church staked their reputation. They staked their very existence on this historical fact that a man has conquered death. Jesus Christ arose. So if that weren't true, there would have been many ways to disprove it, and the church would have never survived. The more you look at it, the more you realize that this event, the resurrection of Jesus, is hard to explain away. Will you find 100% scientific proof? Of course not. I mean, that's just not how historical events are ever verified. But I believe that the evidence is compelling. Peter Kreeft, who teaches philosophy up at Boston College, said this, quote, God gives us just enough evidence so that those who want him can have him. Those who want to follow the clues will. And I think that is so true. But just as important as that peace for their minds, Jesus was giving them what I'll call heart peace, peace in their hearts. 
when they saw those scars on Jesus' body, it reminded him where he got those scars. He had gone to the cross. And the reason he did that was because he was dealing with the biggest problem of humankind. And I know this isn't very popular to talk about today, but the Bible says that the main problem with you and with me and the main problem in the world is this thing called sin. What, what is it? A few years ago, there was a, a PBS special about the book of Genesis. And so they gathered panelists from all different religious backgrounds to talk about issues raised in the first book of the Bible. Even though Genesis records all kinds of bad behavior from all kinds of people, nobody on the panel seemed to want to say the word sin or talk about sin. And then finally, one of the panelists, it was a novelist named Mary Gordon. She's actually a wonderful writer. She teaches writing over at Barnard College. She got sick of all the political correctness, and here's what she said. People just aren't right. There is something fundamentally wrong with us that we cannot fix ourselves. And the first time I heard this several years ago, I said to myself, that is one of the best definitions of sin I have ever heard. People just aren't right, and there's something fundamentally wrong with ourselves that we cannot fix ourselves. Have you, have you recognized that yet in yourself, that there's something fundamentally wrong? Um, have you recognized that at all in your home during this lockdown? Have you seen any arguments breaking out? Have you seen people being irritated by one another? People becoming angry at one another? I mean, none of this is happening in my home. I'm just asking you. But you know what? It's not just about the lockdown. I have seen this in myself consistently. You know, I'm 52 years old, and I still see in myself this tendency to want to have things my way. I see this tendency when things go wrong to blame someone else. Right now, my wife is at home going like this. Yeah. But seriously, I see this in, I see this in myself that, that when things aren't right, I can get cranky and irritable. That, that tendency is deep inside of me. And the Bible says that's the problem. That's this thing called sin. On a personal level, sin is what causes arguments and isolation and addiction and divorce and broken relationships. On a global level, sin is what causes wars to break out. There's something fundamentally wrong with us that we cannot fix ourselves. And when Jesus went to the cross, he went to fix it for us. And so if you can be honest with yourself and acknowledge that sin in your heart, look at those scars and realize he did that for you. He stood in your place. He took the divine judgment that you rightfully deserve and he received it in your place. And therefore, there's forgiveness available. And it's such a, a beautiful thing that when you become a receiver of the forgiveness of Jesus, you are now equipped to become a giver of forgiveness. You become a releaser of grudges. You become a maker of peace. When you receive the forgiveness of Christ, which was bought on the cross, you become a forgiven person, and then you become a powerfully forgiving person. What a beautiful thing. The peace that he gives us overflows to the people around us. So because of the presence of Christ that had broken into that room, the minds and the hearts of the disciples were flooded with peace. But Jesus didn't leave it there because he immediately started talking about this third thing, purpose, purpose. Look at the last thing he said, as the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. When you look back at history, it is incredible to see how those words spoken to those people in that room became a reality. Because after they saw Jesus alive, they truly viewed themselves as sent people. They became a force for good in their society. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They visited the sick. They took care of widows and orphans, especially the most needy. In other words, the kinds of things that Jesus had gone around doing, they started doing. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. In those first few centuries of the Christian church, as the church was beginning to spread and grow, there were multiple epidemics and plagues that broke out across the Roman Empire so severe that they decimated entire cities. And we're told that the wealthy who lived in those cities, those who had the means to travel, would get out of the cities. They would get away from the virus. And yet history tells us that the Christians did not flee. They stayed and they served the people around them. At great cost to themselves, they demonstrated love. They realized that they were sent people. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. You know, when those words come from a man who has holes in his hands and a gash in his side, you take those words seriously. And they really did. They went around loving people in the name of Christ, and the world has never been the same. Listen, if we truly believe that Jesus is alive, we will be moved to action. We will view ourselves as sent people, not because we think we're so powerful or important, but because we are connected to someone who's incredibly powerful and eternally important. You know, when I think about us as a church, we have been so gripped by this because when we look around us right here in North Jersey, we see a lot of the kinds of situations that Jesus stepped into when he was in this world. We noticed that, that New Jersey has the highest rate of autism births in the entire country. I don't know why that is, but in response, there's this growing team of volunteers from the chapel that is serving and ministering to uh, children with special needs and adults with special needs and ministering to their families. We see this heroin epidemic that's exploding in our state, and so we have been growing our addiction care and addiction support ministries. We see all of these young mothers who feel isolated and unsupported, and so we have developed this Mothers of Preschoolers, MOPS ministry, which is just exploding in its influence. We look beyond New Jersey, and we see kids on the streets of Bogota, Colombia, that are barely getting by with so many temptations. And so we've been sending resources. We've been sending teams to help build up churches on the streets of Columbia to help provide hope for those kids. When, when Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, he was speaking to us as a church. So let me just make this personal for a minute. When you think about your life, when you wake up in the morning, is there a sense of purpose that gets you out of bed because you know why you were put here on earth? Do you have that sense of purpose? See, when we decide to align our lives with Christ, it makes us kind of restless and dissatisfied with the typical American dream. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to quit your job and go you know, start an orphanage in Africa or something. I mean, maybe. But what it means is that, that you suddenly see the world in a different way through the eyes of Christ. 
and you suddenly find yourself with a compassion for people that you never had before because you have the life of Christ in you. You suddenly find yourself realizing, I've got this one life and I want to use it for something that counts. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I'm sending you. What does that look like? What should that look like for you? Man, life is short. You know, scientists have been talking about a really interesting silver lining that's taking place because of this, this pandemic. Do you know the silver lining I'm talking about? It's the fact that air pollution all over this world is coming down. Um, and I know that doesn't take away all the suffering, but um, man, let's, let, let's not overlook this. Um, air pollution in major cities like New York and Los Angeles um, is coming down. Um, other industrial hubs around the world. They say that in the city of Delhi, India, air pollution is down by 70%. And just this week, there have been some news reports going around that people living in northern India, for the first time in their lives, in, in over 30 years, they're able to look out the window and actually see the Himalayan mountains. Think about that for a minute. All of your life, you've gone outside, and all you've seen is smog and, and haze and pollution. And now, you open up your door, and there are these snow-capped mountains in front of you. I mean, they were obviously there all along. You just never saw them before. Amazing. So I have one last question for you today. In this strange, strange time, is it possible that there's a really important silver lining for you? Maybe this Easter, God has cleared away the smog. He has pushed away the distractions that normally take up so much of your attention. He has quieted the noise level so that you can finally see something. It's been there all along, but, but you've just normally missed it. The risen Christ saying to you, peace be with you. You know, that peace that he's offering, it did not come cheap it came at the cost of his own blood on the cross, but it's free for us. We just have to receive it. And so if you have never taken that step before, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me as we close. In fact, I just want to invite everyone, wherever you are, would you close your eyes and join us as we look to our creator together? And if you need to receive Christ today, just pray this. Father, today... I can see the resurrected Christ saying, peace be with you. And I need that peace. I receive that peace today. And now God, send me wherever you want to send me. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that this day you would fill our hearts and our homes with the supernatural peace that only comes from Christ. It is in the name of the resurrected and living Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.